Chapter Fifteen of William and Englishman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. William and Englishman by Cicely Hamilton. Chapter Fifteen. There were many parallels to the case and conversion of William Tully in the first few weeks of the war there is and always will be the self-centred temperament that can shut its eyes to the fact and tread the pathways of the paradise of fools even if it treads them alone but on the whole humanity is reasonable and given a fact however surprising and savagely unpleasant accepts it because it must those who struggled hardest against the acceptance of the war fact of nineteen fourteen were naturally enough those who had fiery little battles of their own to fight and whose own warfare was suddenly rendered null and incompetent by a sudden diversion of energy and interest in the face of the national danger the war was a successful rival of their own their sectional strife overshadowing its importance and sucking the life from its veins hence instinctively they sneered at it and strove to ignore its existence hating it as a minor and incompetent artist may hate the greater professional rival who sings or acts him off the stage only by some such reasoning can one account for the fact that the aggressive and essentially militarist type of political enthusiast so often runs to pacifism where the quarrels of others are concerned but for the bitter mischance of a honeymoon spent in the forest of arden and the consequences thereby brought about such would very certainly have been the mental attitude of william tully in the august of nineteen fourteen his own battles would have absorbed his aggressive instincts and never having seen a shot fired in anger he would have continued for quite a long time to think of other battles as enlarged street riots which were thoroughly enjoyed by the bloodthirsty soldiery who provoked them he would have pooh-poohed the possibility of a war until the war actually broke out and then insisting that it was avoidable and should not have been have clung angrily to his customary interests and done his small energetic best to keep his comrades from straying into that wider and bloodier field where they and their services would be lost to the sectional conflict such very certainly would have been his course of action had he made his wedding journey to torquay fate and not temperament had willed it that he should be driven to enlist under the rival banner of nationality but there were others of his kidney whom fate had not driven so brutally and who unable to effect as william had done a rapid transfer of allegiance and antagonisms struggled desperately to uphold in despite of war their partially deserted standard of such was faraday dogged and fiercely indefatigable though the man had soul and brain enough to feel the ground rock beneath him his ignorance of european politics was a thought less profound than william's but sufficiently profound to have bred in him a complete disbelief in the possibility of european war hence his surprise at the international earthquake was almost as great as that of his former disciple when the unbelievable happened he as was but natural was angry all men are angry when the habit of years is interfered with and in the first flush of his annoyance ascribed the falsification of his every prediction not to his own blundering but to the sins of those who did not think as he did those who prophesied war so he argued had prophesied what they desired all the same he was not like william devoid of the imaginative faculty 
but the war was as yet a great way off and his hatred of the government of his own country was real with time he too came to understand that a people may have other foes than those of its own household and be threatened with death from without when he was called up under the conscription act he went without protest made an excellent soldier and died fighting in a night raid near hulach but in the beginning the habit and association of years was too strong for him and his bitter dislike of his neighbor overpowered his fear of the german during the first few weeks of the war he held peace meetings at considerable personal risk which as became a good fighter he took even with enjoyment distributed printed appeals to pacifist and anti-british sentiment and wrote passionately if with less than his usual clarity in the torch he could not in honesty bring himself to defend every action of his country's enemies and was conscious of occasional difficulty and a sense of thin ice underneath him at the same time it was against his tradition and principles to admit that the statesmanship of the land he was born in could ever have right on its side tradition and principles might have won hands down making him ardently and happily pro-german had it not been for the complication introduced by the attitude of other nations which foreign even as germany was foreign had chosen to range themselves with england hence a difficulty in indiscriminate condemnation and a momentary confusion of thought and outlook of which faraday himself was quite clear-brained enough to be conscious it irritated him and he was sensible of failure and uncertainty on the day that william arrived in london and was refused for the british army faraday held a small meeting in a hall in a bloomsbury side street the object of the meeting was to consider suitable methods of influencing for the better the existing and lamentable condition of popular opinion the gathering was not open to the general public only the initiated being present some thirty to forty of the initiated chiefly secretaries chairmen and other branch officials of the advanced socialist group of which faraday was leading light and president for the most part men but with a sprinkling of women among them they had been summoned together by letter and word of mouth the meeting was private and consultative described as for sympathizers only and held at the headquarters of the central london branch a large room sparsely furnished with chairs and a platform in the neighbourhood of tottenham court road one of the more muscular members of the branch kept watch and ward in the passage outside the hall scrutinizing the comrades as they neared the door lest any uninitiated person or disturber of peace should attempt to gain entry with the faithful he was thrilled with a vague and grandiose conviction that the meeting was of perilous importance passed in his familiars they were all his familiars with a mysterious nod and compared himself to a sentinel on duty in a post of extreme danger he was a young man domiciled in the hampstead garden suburb with uncut hair a flowing tie and a latent if hitherto undeveloped sense of humour and a year or two later when the army had claimed him and he stood in the ypres salient in a post of extreme danger he grinned unhappily between the shell bursts as the night of the meeting came back to him among his thirty or forty familiars he passed in william tully who had come to the hall mechanically scarce knowing where his steps were guiding him no wind of the meeting had come to him but the place was one of his haunts the central london branch of which he was chairman assembled there on business once a week further it was used as the address of the branch 
and he was accustomed to call there almost daily for his official letters or the transaction of small official business thus it happened at the close of a bewildered day that he turned to it almost by instinct perhaps it was a sense of homelessness that drove him to its open doors for it was not until well towards evening that he had summoned up courage to enter his own dwelling the little flat he had not yet lived in made ready for himself and griselda if there had been anywhere else to go perhaps he never would have entered it but his bachelor lodging he knew was let to a new tenant and he had not money enough in his pocket to pay for lodging elsewhere his day had been spent on foot after his refusal at the recruiting station he had walked he knew not whither here there through street after street that he might not stop and think and when in the late afternoon he found himself sitting on the turf of primrose hill he could not for the life of him remember the route by which he had reached it sheer weariness of body drove him to shelter and half an hour later he was slowly dragging his feet up the stairway that led to the flat the woman who was to do for himself and griselda had been installed on the premises for some days past since the outbreak of war she had been in hourly expectation of the arrival of her master and mistress and in some perturbation at the continued lack of news from them as william was about to walk past the door she had opened to him she stayed him with an inquisitive question he could not remember the form it took but knew that it must have referred to griselda's absence for he told her abruptly that his wife had died in france she threw up her hands with a screaming exclamation as he hurried past her to shut himself into the bedroom there afraid of her curious sympathy and questions he shut and locked himself in with the poignant loneliness of the brand-new furniture that he and griselda had chosen and lovingly admired with the poignant company of griselda's photograph smiling self-consciously from the centre of the mantelpiece and set in an ornate silver frame that was one of her wedding presents he held it in his hands till the tears blinded him kissed it sobbing and laid it face downwards the general burning with inquisitive sympathy induced him after one or two unsuccessful attempts to open the door to her knocking pressed on him in spite of denials a scratch meal of tea and poached eggs and hovered round while he ate it as befitted the occasion she held her apron to her eyes while she extracted as much as she could in the way of information later as she washed up in the kitchen she heard him moving from one tiny room to another consumed with a restless misery and a restless wonder as to what he should do with his life still later she heard him go out again though he had hidden away the self-conscious photograph thrusting it out of sight into a drawer the brand-new furniture was always there and always waiting for griselda the moment came when he could no longer suffer its company and went out into the street to avoid it other purpose in walking he had none and thus it happened that mechanically and without intent he drifted into the bloomsbury side street where faraday held his meeting the important doorkeeper would have greeted him with more than a nod would gladly in fact have detained him after his four weeks absence to exchange comments and views on the european situation but william in entering made no response to his hello back again which it may be he did not even hear he walked straight past the sentinel and into the bare familiar room where everything from the seats to their occupants was just as it had been and where every face was known to him time for a moment turned back in its traces and yesterday unrolled before his eyes 
he gazed at it and sat down slowly by himself in the last row of chairs edwards the central london secretary was hugging his ankle as he always hugged it and mrs j blenkinsop the formidable treasurer of the golders green branch frowned through her pince-nez at the speaker with her chin uplifted as of old wore the same capacious sandals her crossed knees showed them and the same cold gravy-coloured robe and her son young j blenkinsop as his habit was sprawled sideways on one chair and curled his long limbs round another it was all as it had been and faraday on the platform was speaking with the accents of yesterday the important doorkeeper was not the only comrade who had noticed william's return one or two heads were turned as he came in but for the most part the audience was intent on the words of the speaker the heads that turned made some sign of pleased recognition to which william responded automatically unknowing that he did so from his seat near the door his eyes wandered slowly over the platform the hall and its occupants slowly and with a dull and detached curiosity what he saw there and heard was unreal like a scene in an unconvincing play he had a sense of looking at these people from a great way off of hearing their voices from a distance something separated and held him removed from them he had great difficulty in giving his attention to what the speaker was saying yet in the old days faraday had always stirred him and to-night he was speaking well from thirty to forty convinced adherents assembled at a private conference are not the material upon which a public orator usually throws away his best endeavours but faraday that night was speaking not so much to his audience as to himself unadmitted even to his secret soul he had great and fierce need of conviction it was with his own doubts that he wrestled at his own head that he flung both his jeers and his arguments he was of a finer because more intelligent mould than the edwardses and j blenkinsops who heard him and who were still thinking of the european tragedy as a red herring drawn by the cunning politician across the path of progress not for him was their happy imperviousness to the new idea and looking down from his platform on their assembled faces it may have struck him not pleasantly that these people were in part of his making they were at any rate the product of a system of which he in common with politicians of every creed had not scrupled to make full use be that as it may he spoke feelingly and well that night far better and more feelingly than was needed by the number the attitude and calibre of his audience which was comfortably and stubbornly determined to agree with him before he opened his mouth he had not come to the meeting with intent to be so lengthy and urgent he had planned to be nothing more than brief and businesslike to give and invite suggestions for a vigorous prosecution of the anti-war campaign but when he rose to open the discussion he was carried away by his own doubts and emotions and the few remarks he had thought to make flared out into a veritable speech he fought with and poured scorn on himself in the name of others rallying his feebleness with argument and sneering at his own hesitations thus he spoke eloquently and deserved the applause which greeted him when he sat down edwards followed him in response to the invitation for suggestions a little bespectacled labour man whose ideal was a world of committees there had been something alive about faraday's outpouring it was the speech of a man who however resentfully understood that the world had moved but as edwards quacked earnestly about branch propaganda as an antidote to militarism 
and a means of diffusing the international idea the sense of unreality descended again upon william branch propaganda little leaflets and meetings when guns made a pulp of flesh and blood and men were being shot against walls resolutions and minute-books against wrongs like griselda's and his own for the first time for many days he felt a desire to laugh and if it had not been for his sense of the distant unreality of the proceedings perhaps he would have been moved to actual expression of perverted and unmirthful mirth it was young j blenkinsop who made the proceedings real to him and but for his intervention at the end of the discussion it is probable that william himself would have taken no part in it he would have listened for a little perhaps to the end and then crept out to his loneliness but j blenkinsop roused him and swept him out of himself edwards quacked earnestly for ten minutes or so the aggrieved outpourings of a soul to which the really serious fact of the war was that it had caused a certain amount of backsliding and even desertion amongst the weaker brethren of his branch and when he sat down after a moment of silence j blenkinsop rose to his feet in the dark ages that had ended a week ago william thought highly of edgar j blenkinsop esteeming him a youth of great promise with his hands in his pockets his broad shoulders lolled against the wall and his hair as usual drooped over an eyebrow he drawled out fine scorn upon the leaders of the labor party for their treachery to the cause of the people and their lack of the sense of brotherhood there was no particular purport in his vaguely scathing remarks which the meeting being nominally for business purposes might well have been ruled out of order but he was enjoying the sound of his own full voice and his mother gazed up at him admiringly it was more himself than his vague remarks that made william flare and see red his six feet of conceited boyhood propped sprawlingly against the wall as he listened he was gripped with a sudden hatred of j blenkinsop a hatred that had its roots in envy of his physical perfections it was for lack of that broad deep chest and those long strong limbs that the recruiting officer would have none of him and a muscular boy a potential soldier lolled hands in pockets and cracked ignorant jests at men who knew better than he did at the agony of such as himself as the young man drawled onward william breathed fast and thickly and clutched at the chair in front of him till j blenkinsop having sufficiently scarified the official representatives of labor went on to some smartly turned jibes at the recruiting campaign and the gulls who were caught by its appeals one of his sarcasms brought him the ready laugh he had counted on and something on which he had not counted at the tail of the laugh came imperative and raucous the order sit down you young fool every head in the room went round with indignation to william who most of the gathering faraday included now noticed for the first time he was on his feet stiffened and pallid with passion but after the cry that had cut short j blenkinsop he stood silent with his lips apart and his hands clutching at a chair-back his fingers knotted and worked as they clutched and his mouth was twisted and quivering he stood like an animal backed into a corner defying the astounded eyes and the open incredulous mouths of those who had once been his comrades most incredulous of all was the mouth of mrs j blenkinsop who gaped in amazement at the unprovoked attack on her son may i ask began edgar j blenkinsop less slowly and languidly than usual whereat william hearing the silence broken also found words to his tongue you may ask he interrupted oh yes you may ask 
anything you like but for god's sake don't lay down the law and make ignorant assertions for god's sake don't do that you mustn't lay down the law until you know something until you've really tried to find out then perhaps you'll have a right to speak now when i hear you i i i from sheer sense of the inadequacy of words his voice tailed huskily away then with an odd little snarl at his auditors he burst out savagely afresh you child you great impudent jackanapes you stand there and dare to make jokes about the hell that other men have burned in the flames and the blood and the guns and people dying in the road you talk blank foolery and laugh about it you laugh and turn up your nose you think you're clever and enlightened and it sickens me sickens me to hear you he finished on a note that was almost a scream and they looked at him aghast and dumbfounded it was his face that held them even more than his disconcerting words all but edgar j blenkinsop who pricked in his vanity would have accepted the challenge and started again had not faraday silenced him with a turn of the head and a gesture still more pricked in his vanity he slid to a chair muttering sulkily and red to the neck tully began faraday with reproof in his voice but tully defied even his mentor not savagely and with contempt as he had defied and decried j blenkinsop but as one who had a right to be heard he mustn't talk like that till he knows something it's child's talk ridiculous babble i know what i'm saying i've come from it and i've a right to tell him what i know not one of you here has seen what i have you're just guessing when a shell bursts i've seen a man with his legs like red jelly and a horse he choked at the memory that's being a soldier let him fight and he'll find it out now he thinks it's what he said just now a sort of game that they like everything he said was mean little nonsense how dare you listen to it and laugh at his silly little jokes what's the good of saying that it shouldn't happen of course it shouldn't happen we all know that of course it shouldn't happen but it does and you can't stop it with sneers about soldiers and kitchener it's hell and the mouth of hell i've seen it he says he wouldn't lift a finger to keep them out do you know why he says that it's because he can't imagine what it means i would i'd die to keep them out because i've seen i've seen a man shot not a soldier just an ordinary man put against a wall and shot while his wife howled like a dog two men and their wives standing by they might do that to him if they came has he ever thought of that while his mother howled like a dog he shot out a quivering finger at the open-mouthed mrs j blenkinsop and his women would he let them do as they liked with his women they would if they came here he can take my word for it they would would he ask them in politely and shake hands and give them drinks and let them if they came people would run from them leaving everything they had beggars would he like to be driven and beaten and made to work like a slave i've had that i've been driven and beaten and made to work and i've run from them and starved and hidden because i was afraid and my wife died they killed her there was a gasp a rustle of movement and a sudden straightening of backs everyone in the room knew griselda tully many quite intimately and not a few had been at her wedding amazement and wrath against the disturber of the peace gave way to a real consternation and in the silence that followed the momentary rustle william heard faraday's good god they stared at him in dumb consternation dimly conscious perhaps that they were in the presence of an eternal fact and that the little man who stabbed at them with a trembling forefinger was the embodiment of that sense of injustice and agony which makes men cry to heaven for vengeance 
and heaven failing them take the sword and smite for themselves dolly murgatroyd griselda's bridesmaid who had twice accompanied griselda to holloway saw and shrank from the reality of that tortured revolt which for years she had striven to simulate under the lash of her leader's bombast in face of the fact that was william their theories wilted and failed them and the new black suit of their comrade tully was to them as the writing on the wall at the feast of belshazzar and came like that other writing on the wall at the moment when the evil from which they had hidden their faces was an evil actually accomplished in each man's heart was a faint reflection of the amaze that had fallen on william and griselda when their world first crumbled about them the sudden movement the chairman's exclamation and the abashed silence that followed it checked william and brought him to a standstill speech failed him and he stood with his mouth half open while the meeting stared at him motionless there was a blank period of tension of awkward stillness in the presence of emotion and then faraday coughed uncertainly and moved probably he intended to say something perhaps to adjourn the meeting but his movement and the breaking of silence with his cough gave william back his voice and he spoke before faraday began and they won't take me in the army although my wife has been killed they won't take me in the army i'm not tall enough i'm only five foot five and they won't take me i've seen my wife die she died in the road and they refused me when i tried to enlist if i were only two inches taller god in heaven if i were two inches taller the high tight voice broke suddenly and he wept with his face in his hands for the space of a painful moment there was no sound in the room but his sobs no man knowing what to do or where to turn his eyes until faraday came down from the platform the tread of his feet on the gangway broke the spell of embarrassed silence and chairs were moved softly and the occupants looked away from william as faraday took him very gently by the arm and led him out into the street end of chapter fifteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine